Welcome to the Sensi Postcast and welcome to 2024, folks. This is the first podcast of the new year, officially marking the second full year of the postcast. I am so sorry to your ears. Uh, look, I'm your host, Kevin Wallace, and we have an awesome episode for you. We did record this, uh, I-, I will admit, before January 1st, but... It all still holds up, all right? Thankfully, no major transfer news happened in the time between when we recorded this and we posted this. And we talk a little bit about some FCC news, some MLS news in part one, and then in part two, as previously promised, a very, very special edition of The Film Room as we talk about the 1990s movie Last Action Hero. If you haven't seen it, Pause this right now and go find it. Uh, It's a really good movie. So no spoilers, at least in this part. There's tons of spoilers in the second part, Uh, but it's a really good movie. So enjoy this episode and that'll be your postcast. Well, this is a bit of an unusual episode. Uh, It's been a long time since all three of us have been in the same room. This is a very special, by the time this comes out, it'll be the first podcast of 2024. So what better way to ring in the new year? eh? Yeah, we've worked together. You know, it's New Year's. We're celebrating another complete year of the podcast. Our first complete year of the podcast, I believe. That is true. We started in late February last time so this is is our first official full year of doing the show so what better way to do this than getting 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 the gang together (laughs) and this time we are doing this and we haven't just watched an epic (laughs) just beat down (laughs) and we're we're not trying to muster up the like what the hell are we going to talk about energy like we were after that columbus game when we were up in columbus oh so so good to be in the same room as you said not not after a devastating loss, drinking beers from a location that will go undisclosed. Um, that was Chief. You just heard Grayson. How are we doing this evening? I'm doing well. Um, <clears throat> you know, I had a kind of a different viewpoint, I think, about that about mm. that crew game because I think people like our episodes a little bit more <laughs> when we're coming off of, you know, a letdown mm. or a big loss. Yeah. Because uh, I think I think we get I think we get into our wheelhouse a little bit, you know, know, like processing, dealing with dealing with tragedy. Um, What percentage past grief? What percentage of those downloads do you think are fans of the other team that are searching (laughs) to hear misery coming from the team they just beat, though? Uh, you know there's some people hate listening to the podcast or I, I enjoy am, reveling in our misery. I am very guilty of doing that. After a big win, I might go find a, a podcast, just listen like, how mad are they? How sad are so they? I don't I don't do that. I never will. And I want to say, if you are not a fan <laughs> of FC Cincinnati, um, turn this off. No, 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 no. Leave it on. Listen to this. This is not for you. Stop. Stop replying to me on Twitter. I don't want to see you. I don't want to know you. I don't want to hear from you. Um, I don't want to spend a single moment of my day thinking about you. And frankly, 
I think it's quite embarrassing how often you spend thinking about us. <laughs> I think it's sad. No, I, I just want to I'll clarify what or what, or buy from from Cincy shirts using code the post Cincy. Yes. If you're a fan of the not FC Cincinnati. Buy something from Cincy shirts. And use code the post Cincy and then post your receipt so we can prove it. And if you post your receipt showing you use promo code the post Cincy. You can get into Grayson's mentions as often as you want. That yeah, and I'll, 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 I won't I won't mute you. If you're a fan of another team and you post your your Cincy shirts uh, receipt uh, on Twitter, I won't I won't mute you. I don't res- I will not promise to reply to you. But you, know you won't be muted. The bottom line, though, is that like this, this show is for everyone. I don't mind if you're a fan of another team listening to this, but you have to recognize you're in our space. Yeah, this isn't for you. You can be a you can be a, a passive participant in this, but I don't need you joining this conversation. Right. You can listen and you can enjoy our space, but we're not going to cater to you. And I don't want to interact with you if the only interaction is going to be, ha ha, what a loser. Right. Okay. right. This is about elevating FC voices. <laughs> Specifically <laughs> and <it's> mine. <laughs> and it's time, you know, for, for you, if you're not an FC voice, to sit back and listen and learn. I think you might learn something. We really should start every podcast off with an FCC acknowledgement that, like, mm-hmm. this is for FC Cincinnati. This was originally for FC Cincinnati. This is brought to you from the uh, ancestral lands of Stargill Stadium. Yes. The Cincy Saints. Yes. This is on the ancestral <laughs> homeland of Cincinnati of, Saints. Of William Howard Taft High School. <laughs> of, of the Cincy Saints. <laughs> <laughs> In a lot of ways, their spirit lives on. We are just we are custodians and stewards of the land they the, the land they first tilled. Oh my god! <laughs> Which they didn't really till because it was an artificial playing surface that had football markings on it. Yeah, no, it'd have been bad to to have attempted to till that. Um, I don't think it's. I don't like to play this game. Like go back in time to see who was there first, whether it was Taft High School or Cincy Saints. The fact of the matter is. FC is there now. It has a right to exist. <laughs> oh, wait. And it has no. a right to defend its home turf. <laughs> oh, no. Disavow. Uh, Disavow. Well, in uh, in keeping with that, uh, I, I did write down here in my notes, and I, I feel like we've, we've gotten to that, uh, which is, uh, I think in the spirit of what we've been saying is, FC Cincinnati fans, could you just stop talking to Columbus crew fans this is just like I very unfortunately use my my Twitter for you tab probably too much and there's been a lot of yellow and black on it and I don't even blame Columbus fans like no I blame Columbus fans Ooh, oh, interesting there are these people it was Christmas day <laughs> if you are waking up on Christmas day and your first thought is I gotta hop on the bird app and start talking shit at FC Cincinnati fans just touch every blade of grass <laughs> in your front yard. And when you're done with that, touch every blade of grass in your backyard. Like, go go spend time with your family. Yes. Go watch It's a Wonderful Life. Do whatever it is people do that are well-adjusted people on Christmas Day. Don't make that highest of holy holidays your time to say, oh, I'm going to go start some shit with people online. I don't know. That's just, that's lame. Yeah. That's lame. The thing you got to remember about Columbus Crew fans, though, is they don't have any friends or family. Right. This is true. If they had friends or family, 
They would have brought one of them to a game at some point. <laughs> the team wouldn't have left. And the team wouldn't have left. Um, and in, assuming, in fact, they don't, have MLS, friend, they don't have friends and family because the family were like, oh, they're the weird people that follow that my, that soccer team nobody cares about. <laughs> and you have to remember that they all lost their jobs during Save the Crew uh, by yelling at all of their coworkers about it. Getting a little aggressive in the um, break room, yeah. And, uh, uh, the, you know, suing under the Modell Law it's like one of those things like where your parents like pay somebody to be your friend. <laughs> Damn. So it really is. You know, it's just like it's just like, you know, it's illegal actually for you not to be my friend. <laughs> <laughs> that, that is what Save the Crew said to Anthony Precourt. It is illegal Ill for you to break up with me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I uh yeah, that's that's kind of where I'm at with it. It's just like the Columbus fan, as it is. It, it can't help itself. I like to think that the FC Cincinnati fan can help itself. It, yeah. can, it can yeah. show restraint. We, we can't. Look, I understand. I'm on record as saying it's not a rivalry until we start getting a little better. If you believe this is a rivalry, though, and if you want this rivalry to continue, I can't implore you enough. We need a cooling off period until we do something that is worth <laughs> bragging about. Yeah. Like, like you're never like. Right now, we are in the stage of this relationship, situationship, whatever it is, where they get to say scoreboard whenever they want. Yeah. You're never going to win a debate with a Columbus Crew fan because they're just going to post three star emojis and your comeback is what? We won Supporter Shield? Great. They've done that too, yeah. multiple times. Yeah. Like, they have to do something stupid or we have to do something great in order to justify the dialogue resuming. For right now, just let's cool it a little bit. Can we just can we just have a cooling off period with Columbus for our own mental sanity? Do we have to don't make us. I don't I don't want there to be a rule on this podcast. I don't want there to be a rule that we stop mentioning Columbus mm. the same way for the past Is it a new year do we mention him now? How are we going to do this? I'm okay mentioning it. I will say though, I'm happy to bring it back if we feel like we've gone overboard. Okay. Yeah, I, I agree. Okay. So we, don't make us give it the Leo Messi treatment where we have to just stop saying Columbus. Yeah. To model good behavior for everyone else. I don't want to do that. I don't want to have to think up a new way to end the podcast. <laughs> so don't make us do that. Don't make us have to model this behavior. And it's like you're not going to get them to be any different by engaging with them. No. And, you know, they're just starved for your attention. Yes. And by giving them any attention, you're giving them what they want. Yeah. And yeah, it's not like they're not getting to us, you know, in the sense that like saying anything that's like biting or that I think about, you know, beyond actually reading the tweet. Right. But it is annoying to see them. Yes, that is maybe the worst part, is that it is just always there when I open up the app. And I don't need that. Should we should we nominate a different fan base to just like if you feel the need to shit talk a crew fan or maybe a crew fan finds you, searches out the right keywords, finds you and t sends some shit to you. We should find a fan base to redirect our hatred towards. And I'll well, offer up I'll I got, offer up one. But what do you got? See, hurt people hurt people. <laughs> okay. And we're hurt right now. That's true. 
And what is one thing that you know about bullies? Who do bullies pick on? Smaller kids. Smaller kids. Smaller kids. So right now we're being bullied. I like where this is going. By Columbus. So in order to make ourselves feel better, we need to bully someone smaller than us. Yes. So can I offer up our old friends, Louisville City? No. Let's punch down. I like this. I don't like that. Ooh. Why? Um, Because... They deserve it. Yeah, but by... By talking to them, we are elevating them. Like, we're bringing them to our level. And by acting like we care about them. And I just don't think that that's a good use Mm. of our online time. Mm. Here's my suggestion. Okay. First of all, I don't want to get... I'm not going to get into it with any MLS fan base. Because I haven't seen one that isn't annoying once you get beyond like one or two Twitter people. I haven't seen a lot that are more than one or two Twitter people, though, to be honest. Um, and what I would, who I would suggest is um, Philly. Ooh. So, so Philly, the one, as an organization, they're on our level. Okay. Okay. Uh, similar, similar philosophies. Only thing they've ever won is the supporter shield. Um, <coughs> I do worry that they actually might show up at your workplace and stab you in real life. <laughs> no, I watched that Sons of Ben documentary. Uh, they're not, they're not tough. Um, I went to the Philly game. The people I talked to were good hangs. Okay. Um, not a great argument for deciding we're going to fight with them if they're good, <laughs> they're good hangs. But like, yeah, some 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 Philly fans are super annoying on Twitter, and I have muted them because they they also. Like the crew fans, uh, like St. Louis fans, care a little bit too much about our team. Yeah. But I think for the most part, <coughs> relations are decent. And you can go, you can talk to a Philly, a Philly fan, and you're not like giving anybody undeserved attention. Um, you're not going to get really owned. Uh, by somebody who like has your number and you know I think I think it's just a nice like low stakes uh, uh, way to engage on, on Twitter I like it I really like the Louisville one just because the idea of elevating Louisville fans to our level becomes hilarious to me to Nashville fans that like crave that right we give that to another fan base the other one i was thinking of though was fc dallas and i say this because nobody would think of picking on fc dallas i don't know that they have a fan base but in that one exists it would be really funny to pick a fight with them and it might be a public good a public service that we're doing to help organize and galvanize their fan base and i think for the first time ever we play them this year so like we're building up to some stakes at this see if you're just gonna pick a random team from the west how about salt lake city i'm good with that too just go full in double fisted on the mormons two-footed i don't know i like it or how about this what if what if we staked our claim right now that we hate san diego Ooh. And like we start like talking, getting in everyone's mentions on San Diego right now, 
And we accuse him of all being fake fans that weren't supporting the loyal. That's always good. Like, pull, just run the Detroit City playbook back from when yeah. we first joined USL. That these people are all fake. They didn't care until MLS showed up. If they would have gone the real way, they would have had to earn it in USL, showing their support for their team before being parachuted. Oh, that their their team was stolen from Sacramento. Oh, that's a good that, one. That should have rightfully been the next MLS expansion team in California. Yes. And let's just let's fight with them. They have nothing that can back it up. They're not even playing right now. That is true. We get two full years of free shots. <laughs> they don't even have the USL team to, like, potentially be an Open Cup opponent. Yeah, you know what? We'll get, like, an MLS.com article. We'll, you know, talk some shit about them. Talk yes. about how, like, that the we'll, we'll, you know, blame. They didn't really earn it. It was the billionaire pulling out of Sacramento that gave them their team. Yes. They've stolen this from all those people. And you know what? I'll bet you if we really, as a fan base, put our mind to this, we could get the league to believe there actually is bad blood between these two teams. Yeah, San Diego was given, not grabbed. Yeah. We grabbed our spot in MLS. Yeah. Oh, I like that. Given, not grabbed. <laughs> I don't, wait, I don't think we want to be the grabbers in the abstract, but. <laughs> no, we gra grabbed with consent. Okay, good. Okay, okay. Uh, that's good. <laughs> gifted, gifted, not. Gurned. 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 <laughs> um, yeah, I'm good with that. So, uh, on that note, welcome to the Post Cincy, your number one source for FC Cincinnati news and San Diego hate. <laughs> it's 2024. We have on the table the ability to change the sign off to fuck San, San Diego. Diego. <laughs> go, fuck your, go fuck yourself, San Diego. <laughs> I think that that's the new sign off for 2024. <laughs> until until we until we grab back control of the of the, of the Columbus rivalry, right? It's no longer fuck Columbus. It's go fuck yourself, San, San Diego. Diego. <laughs> I like I like this a lot. This also builds up to to the inevitable. Brandon Vasquez goes. I'll say abroad. I'll leave it vague for right now. And when he inevitably comes back to MLS, he will of course. Sign for the San Diego for the bitter team. rival for the, exactly <laughs> San Diego Wave or whatever they're called San Diego FC. San, I think they are San Diego SC. San Diego Wave is the NWSL team, right? It is. I believe they're the Whales Vagina. <laughs> right. <laughs> the uh, what are they? The Chrome and Azul. Oh, they came up with some <laughs> dumb fucking logo and colors. They're the they're the Kurt Vonnegut drawing of an asshole. <laughs> <laughs> It's, they're the Chrome and Azul, and they will be the first MLS team where the badge on their jersey is just a spinner, like the, <laughs> like the John Cena WWF belt. Yes. yes. The San Diego fidget spinners. <laughs> oh, God. Dude, their, their, their jerseys are not machine washable. Don't try. <laughs> Dry clean only. Their logo did not get made fun of enough, I don't think. I'd like to think that, like, there was the chance that the internet could have forced them to change their minds. They didn't. No. It's terrible. It's gradients galore. It's awful. It looks like it looks worse than the fake Madden logos in like the GameCube era oh, Madden's. Yeah. It's, Madden PS2, where like you could relocate your team to like Richmond, Virginia. Yes, yes. <laughs> it's just got nothing it's got nothing distinct about it. Nothing related to Saint like it's nothing. It's terrible. <clears throat> as soon as I stop looking at this picture, I'm gonna forget what it looks like. Yeah, 
Well, I mean, they obviously are going to get sued by Westworld for <laughs> the maze is not much like much like the postcast is not for other fans. The maze is not for you. Yes. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, there you go. I think I, I think we can all agree with that. If yeah. you if you feel the temptation to shit talk a crew fan. Just redirect it at find a San Diego fan. Yeah, find go, someone that's tweeting excited about FC San Diego or San Diego FC. And feel free to pick on any sports writer from San Diego. That's always good. Yeah, hop so, in those mentions. Yeah, you know, get ahead of some takes that San Diego is going to set the points record for worst expansion team ever. They're going to take that from us. Yeah, that's good. And within five years, the team will be relocated somewhere else because. The weather is nice in San Diego, and there's literally a billion other things to do besides professional sports there, which is why the Padres' attendance sucks and why the Chargers had to move. Mention, put up that picture of Boltman (laughs) Boltman. at the San Diego City Council meetings trying to save the Chargers. Put that photo at people. Tweet that at them. I can't wait until they're called the Los Angeles San Diego (laughs) of Anaheim. When they inevitably join a stadium with uh, the LA Galaxy, and they yeah, so it's exactly where this is all headed. Uh, all right, this is another joy of being all together <laughs> is that we get to do this. Oh, uh, happy New Year! Love Diet Cokes. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think? Also, by the time that this podcast comes out, the uh, the Happy New Year post from the Post will have gone live. <laughs> With all of us dining on the supporters' shield, what do you think? What do you what are you predicting the reaction that photo is going to get? Good. I think the reactions publicly will be all positive. I think in the background, in the DMs, there's going to be a lot of negativity. <laughs> that tweet is going to break containment, <laughs> <laughs> and that's where the good reactions are going to come from. It's going to come from like LAFC fans. Yeah, when it leaves the bubble, <laughs> <laughs> they did what? Also, I think this will be the first public photo with the with the FC Cincinnati logo engraved onto it. So that is true. Um, yeah, we uh, we got on there. I I just I'm so annoyed that on the trophy itself, Los Angeles Football Club is completely and totally spelled out, but then we were relegated to FC Cincinnati in very small font that could could have been on the on the second ring, but. We 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 are the first name on the third ring of names. There. And I, I can confirm you can see the uh, in the photo taken. You can see the name on there. it is right there. It is so right there. It is in between a, a three way and a plate of and a plate of conies. So. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Lord. God, I love this week between Christmas and New Year. It just feels like fake time. It yeah. feels like nothing's going on. Oh, like I was barely at work this week, you know, dipping in and out of the office. Yep. Nothing's uh, happening. I found a I found a tweet from a <laughs> what is RCTID? It's Timbers. Rose City till I die. That's yeah. Timbers. You can't eat Skyline Chili with a supporter shield. Bullshit. Only with a wooden spoon. Well, that's fake news. That shows you Aaron from Portland, <laughs> Pro- who Probably. made this? He made the same joke in two different tweets. Wow! You send me his. Uh, we send me that tweet on the group chat because I'm gonna make sure I add him when we post that on the post official account. In fairness to him, wasn't Skyline, so maybe right. maybe it is still technically true. But all that means is we gotta go to Skyline again before the season starts. <laughs> the uh, the sequel photo for sure. Oh god! But nothing's going on. No, like, this, this is great. This week is just it's it's this is a week for the people. It's a week for the working man. Yeah, where. Nobody really expects you to do anything. Yeah. If you accomplish anything this week, 
good on you. Yeah. Or if you accomplished, because this is past tense. By the time people listen to this, this week will have already passed. So I hope you enjoyed what I consider to be the best week of the year. Yeah, this is this is sort of the dream week. Uh, nobody expects anything of you. No. Like that's that's the best part. Is like there's no expectation. So if you do accomplish something, it's like, whoa! Look yeah. at this overachiever. This guy got to the gym before New Year's started. This is where I always find it funny too. Like I did not take off work this week, but like. I'm not working that hard this week. No. <laughs> you take off when it gets hard. That's that's how you plan it out. We used to have this this thing at the theater back in the day when I because I used to work at a movie theater, classic dead end job. I think we talked about this before on the show. Um, we used to have a thing like, "Are you working or are you just on the clock?" And there mm. were some days where I was just on the clock, man. This yep. week, I'm just on the clock. We're we're technically available. Yes. You paid me for my time to be available. Should something come up, yeah. right? Why not, man? I love I love this time of year. I like that too. It's like society has agreed that like unless something's on fire, it's next year's problem. Right. So you never see like worker solidarity like that anymore. No. It's also a great week of the year to do a news dump of a story that you just don't want to get wider traction. <laughs> so I think it's a positive that nothing I care about has been in the news this week. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that that's nice. Um I, I mean, look, I'm scraping the bottom of the barrel for FC Cincinnati news. And the only things I've really got are like, this happened a week or two ago. <laughs> like, we, we didn't really get to talk about. I uh, Yeah, I don't know. Where, where do you want to go with this? We got... I guess the best place to start is I'm desperate for some actual player news. Yeah. Just because it feels like we are still in this limbo space of we know that there are pieces missing from this team. Yes. And there are big pieces missing. And we can sort of see on the horizon big pieces leaving with Barrial and Vasquez. And so I'm eager to start getting some words, some rumors, something that indicates that Albright's cooking somewhere in the background. Because, again, once the first of the year hits, we are functionally six weeks, yeah. five weeks away from actually playing a goddamn game, a game that counts. So you're really starting to shorten the timetable of how long does it take if we're bringing in someone that is not an MLS player to get them into the United States, get their paperwork sorted, get them into training. And every day that goes by is one less day to work on that. So I guess where I want to start is um, Pat Brennan this week or last week reported that I think we'd speculated that Diego Palacios was a potential, was a target that made sense yeah. for the FC. Yeah, I think we had just mentioned, I think you mentioned his name I, passing, I had I mentioned him just as like, you know, a MLS free agent left back. Right. With the assumption that, um, I mean, to like, I guess to like set the table a little bit. Please do. Uh, and as you do. I have us, nice. I have us currently down three starters. And that's not including Vasquez and Barrial right. uh, potentially leaving. So that's as many as five starters and seven team, seven senior team roster spots. And we're on that agreement. We're on agreement. need to be filled. And we're on agreement too, before you continue, that we're down starters like that. But this team also probably needs at some point to sign a center back if they're going to keep playing three at the back that is a starting caliber center back for them. Well, yeah, one of, the, one of the starters who we're missing is Mascara. Right. And then in addition to that, this team probably also needs someone 
they don't want to have their first reserve being Kip Keller, I don't think. Yeah, so if if I mean you might need another one, but we do have uh you would potentially have, let's say, center back, who we'll we'll bring the name back up in a second, I guess, but a center back, Miazga, Ian Murphy, Nick Hagland, Kip Keller. You can probably roll with that. Um barring barring injury with three at the back. But it's better than we had last year. Yeah, which was nobody. But um but yeah, I mean, you know, one of London Agato or Joey Apinonu stepping up would not be the end of the world. Right. Yeah, the I mean the the holes are huge here and you know, talking about not hearing any player news, haven't heard anything in terms of the players that they were in discussions with or, or no. negotiating with there. But before we get too far off, that we got confirmation from Pat Brown yes. that Diego yes. Palacios is, in fact, a target of the FC, um, that they expect him to visit or he has visited. Oh, kind of- the Post's Joseph Mamey reporting that Palacios visited the team that is being contradicted by Pat Brennan and a few other sources, but I'm sticking by our man. Well, what we did, ha- what we do know, is that his name was on the stadium. Which can we talk about this for a second? I understand <laughs> that there is no way to bring a player in for a visit in secret, right? Absent flying them in on the private jet to Lunkin, having a car at Lunkin Airport that whisks them away. But if they're flying in on CVG, if they're giving them a first-class ticket on Delta or something like that, you know, you're running the risk of someone at the airport being like, hey, Diego Palacios is on my flight, or hey, Miles Robinson is on my flight. Right. I get that there's no way to do this in secret. But I feel like putting their name up on the stadium, (laughs) they got to get the player and the agents okay to do that, right? They can't just go around being like, yeah, we're going to fly you in for a visit. Then all of a sudden they roll up and it says, welcome, Miles Robinson, all for Cincy. It's like, (laughs) my man, I'm trying to keep a low profile is where I'm going right now. Right. I I mean, I don't know. Presumably it gets out, like... With or without the stadium. But yeah, the stadium is really fucking funny, especially given how tight-lipped the team then is. It's like, oh, well, we we can neither confirm nor deny that Miles Robinson was here. Hey, man, it's got his name up on the side of the stadium. I just have this image. Do you remember that guy in the Iraq War, Baghdad Bob, that was like the PR agent for the Iraqi ministry? Where it was like he became a meme for like everything is fine, nothing is going on. It's like, we don't think Miles Robinson has been here at all. This is fake news. Nothing to see here. And his name is scrolling by on the LED fins behind the press conference. (laughs) Oh, my God. Yeah, that's exactly it. And that's what makes the, the Palacios story so funny is his name was up there, or at least a Diego, right? I think it's just Diego for Cincy. So get on transfer mark to see if we can't find another Diego. That could be Diego Costa. Yeah, no. Sure. <laughs> I would not say no to that. <laughs> if we're going to combat Luis Suarez in joining this league, we need our own agent of the dark arts who's comfortable biting people. We need, we need another one. That's for sure. Um, but yeah, I mean, in general... Would be an attacking left wing back that perfectly would fit in a line with what we'd be missing with Barrial. And you could play, you could play four at the back with Palacios at left back, which is something we didn't really have. Yeah. Um, 
last year. I mean, I'm not going to denigrate Alvaro's defensive chops. Uh, we've seen him get stuck in, you know, plenty of times. Oh, yeah. But I think most importantly with Alvaro was you didn't want to take him out of the attack. No. Um, he was too because valuable. Because so, he was too valuable in the attack to play four at the back. And with Palacios, you can you could do that if that's a look that they wanted to add. Um, now, that said, I did see something today. Uh, I'm not going to say what day we're recording this. <laughs> uh, I'll tell you, it's not New Year's Eve. <laughs> but I did see something today that Palacios is pretty close to or is, is in talks with Corinthians in Brazil. And um, I would not be surprised if he signs abroad because this is one of the problems with the MLS uh, roster rules is it makes it really hard to keep good, you know, outside defenders, for example, yeah. in MLS because it's very hard to put a lot of your roster budget at that position. Yeah. Right. So, because it's not a DP player, uh, it's not a very, it's not like a sexy player you want to use yeah. Tam on. No. Um, so, a player like Palacios, if he wants to get paid a lot of money and he plays left back, <coughs> outside the league is, you know, where to go. Where to go. So, that brings me on a question here with Palacios. So, we know Palacios is a target. That's at least been confirmed. We know Miles Robinson is a target. That's been confirmed. To what degree do we need to be worried over the fact that we seem to be targeting? We're shooting high with a lot of these targets, but there also exists the possibility that we're going to strike out on targets like these because they have options elsewhere abroad. I like. Is it, it, is it one of those things in Albright we trust that like we trust that he's not so he's not so stupid as to like be doing this without a backup plan? Yeah, I think there are backup plans. I I also think. At this point, especially in the season and what our goals are this season, like aim high now on all of your targets. You probably don't even have the budget to bring in every person that we've been rumored to. But if you can hit on one or two of these guys and then fall to your plan B's, that is fantastic. And I think in general, it speaks highly of FC Cincinnati's very quick turnaround that Palacios and Robinson were both in Cincy very early. Well, Robinson for sure was in right, Cincy. Right. Palacios, maybe. We maybe, don't we don't know. Uh, but they were definitely presenting to him yes. early in the early in the in the window. But to be considered, you know, there there was a point two years ago where a guy like Palacios would never consider going to FC Cincinnati. It's a good thing. Yeah, yeah. and you know, I I think I would be upset if um, if it had been confirmed, say, that we didn't pitch Miles Robinson. Right. Like, I would lead. I would wonder what what we're doing if we're not at least kicking the tires on Miles Robinson. Now, the fact that he came here as his first stop in free agency. I think that's great news. Yeah. Um, I, I think it shows how serious people within MLS take FC Cincinnati now as a destination. Yeah. Uh, you know, Matt Hedges coming last year. It, he didn't it's have, <clears throat> he didn't have the season that anybody would have liked him to have because he got injured, but which shows that when we 
only offered him like a one-year deal with a one-year option, and he took Toronto because they gave him, I think, two years with two option years. Yeah. Um, that was a good. That was the right move. Yeah. From Albright. Yeah. That he was, you know, an older player who had some injury there, and you know, losing out on that contract at the time, I was not thrilled about losing out on Matt Hedges, but looking back on it getting mascara in right <laughs> instead of him like mascara was the plan b it's possible arius was the plan b at right back and those those panned out pretty good yeah it sounds like though if you actually piece the tea leaves together plan a was mascara on a transfer mm-hmm. plan b was hedges and then plan c ended up being mascara on a loan right and like this is one of the rare instances where looping back around to plan c actually was beyond the right move right <laughs> right um so yeah, I think I think the only takeaway we could well not the only takeaway, but a main takeaway is it's only good news that there is real smoke to them talking to players like Miles Robinson and Diego Palacios. Um, Having said that, just speaking for me personally, I don't know where you two land on this. I'd like to start seeing some fire to go along with smoke here in the next week or so. Like I think that like the hour is going to get late really quickly. For this team, given how soon the turnaround is for this season. Well, there were two signings that I don't think we talked about on the postcast. Uh, the MLS Super Draft happened. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that. And I look, I understand I'm the world's biggest Kip Keller fan. At this moment, Chief, I don't know if you're, you're any different than me. I could not tell you either a first or last name from either of our draft picks. Okay. I'm going to mention, I'm going to mention the draft pick. I want, I'm going to say out front that I refuse to know anything else about these players. <laughs> um, and I think I think our didn't reasons we dra- for that... Did we draft someone from Indiana? No. No? All right. And what, a striker? <laughs> well, we drafted Roman Salantano from Indiana. Yeah, I know, but like, I thought we drafted a like, teammate of his or something. Oh, okay. Uh, no. no. We drafted uh, Brian Schaefer, okay. a defender from South Florida. That tracks. Oh uh, wait, that who, sounds familiar. Brandon, we always Schaefer just sounds like a. We South always man. scrimmage them. Yes. In preseason, so I assume that like this is a Hassan and Dom situation where <laughs> they just saw this. They saw this big boy and just right. were like, "So let's let's get him." So Brandon Schaefer from the University of South Florida. Yeah, okay. South Florida. So Bulls. Brandon, national champion. National champion. Brandon, if you are Not listening, national champion. If you're listening, if you've decided that you want to learn more about the your your new adopted city and your new club then you've found the postcast let me be the first to warn you it's impossible to get a good cuban sandwich here <laughs> don't go looking no one has the right bread i'm sorry um the worst most mid cuban sandwich in tampa if you go to colombia because you're a tourist that cuban sandwich is better if you're talking like trying to get something like bodega in saint pete Sorry, you're not going to find it up here. It's grossly disappointing. Get used to it. Try Skyline instead. <laughs> Get the Cuban empanada from the empanada. Oh, hell yeah. That's a good choice. Uh, and by the way, uh, Brian Schaefer, if you're listening, or anybody <laughs> that knows Brian Schaefer is listening, um, the Please only way don't. I will learn more about Brian Schaefer is if he comes on the postcast. <laughs> open so invitation. This is open invitation to Brian Schaefer and to our second round draft pick. Uh, Kenji Mboma, what? Well, sorry, I fucked that up. Kenji Mboma Dem, Dem boys, uh, who went to Dayton. Yeah, yeah. again, uh, forward, and according to Wikipedia, was in the Paris Saint Germain Academy. Uh, good. He is French. 
I don't know how many PSG Academy products have gone on to be good, but that feels good. Joe Sue was in what? The Barcelona Barcelona. Yeah. We have a great history with this club of picking up guys that were in tertiarily involved with these big big academies. Who is the highest profile academy kid that we have then signed? Is it? It's got to be Lucho then, right? Is Justin, was Justin Hoyt Arsenal Academy? I don't know if he came up in their academy. Always would open, That would be though. a good one, though. So, Brandon Schaefer, um, come on the postcast. Yeah. We'll so talk. We'll just, talk. Justin Hoyt. Okay. Arsenal, I will say Arsenal Academy. That's good. Extremely high profile. Yeah, yeah <laughs> right. that's good. That, <laughs> above, above Estudiantes. <laughs> that, that'll count. Um... The the funny thing about Schaefer is it reminds me of uh, Jordan Morris. Uh, Jordan Morris was playing at Stanford when Stanford would scrimmage the U.S. men's national team in 2014 for the build-up to the World Cup. And Jurgen Klinsmann fell in love with uh, Jordan Morris and called him up for the national team at a time when uh, he had... It was like just after Stanford season was over. And uh, Morris was neither voted the best player on his team, nor was he a Herman Award <laughs> finalist. But but Klinsman was like, I need that on this team. <laughs> um, Klinsman also called up um, two NASL players. Yeah, Miguel Ibarra and Christian Ramirez, who yes. both ended up in MLS. Yeah, pretty good. That. But they weren't like the kid from Louisville whose name... Josh Winder, yeah, um, who was like 17 and playing in USL, they were like 25, yeah, and playing in NASL. <laughs> Just an indictment on the MLS scouting process. <laughs> right. like, here's Jurgen Klinsman, like world renowned coach, coaching the national team. I got two guys y'all missed right here, right? <laughs> this is a whiff. <laughs> they both were like, they both ended up pretty good MLS players, like Christian Ramirez. We just saw him in the, yes. in the Eastern Conference Finals. Uh, yeah, unfortunately. Yeah. And Ibarra had a, a decent career. Ibarra was really nice. He was actually the... I think Ibarra was the better player at the time. Yeah. Um, Ramirez had a longer MLS career, but Ibarra was like... He was pretty nice with it for a little bit. So I think we can confidently say that uh, Schaefer tracks to be a... Uh, an Ibarra type player in Major League Soccer. I like yeah, that. I think so. Yeah. I'm into that. I, t- I don't think they even play remotely the same positions. And that and was that's fine. And that was talking Super Draft. <laughs> You're welcome. Yeah, people say we don't talk about the Super Draft. Well, there you go. Well, wait. You said they were signings. Are they officially signings in the first <laughs> no. round? No, they, they have not been signed because neither was Generation Adidas. Okay. <laughs> um, so neither one is signed to a contract with FC Cincinnati or FC Cincinnati Two. I did see. Uh, uh, so I guess we we acquired. Their MLS, MLS rights <laughs> for two players. Uh, LAFC drafted a goalkeeper in the first round who then immediately signed a pro deal with uh, the Rhode Island US. He had already signed that deal. Oh, had he? Yeah. Oh, interesting. And I think they keep his rights for a year. Oh, clever. Clever girl. I feel like we should be doing that with like USL Academy products. <laughs> Just drafting them, knowing that like in a couple of years they'll pan out and we'll we'll have dibs. You know what I do? I'm excited about this is the one part of the super draft I did like. Talk to is me. that I love in the NFL draft where when you trade a draft pick away, you get to make the statement like I remember when the Steelers dealt from Mink, uh, Mika Fitzpatrick. Yeah, they were like we traded a first round pick for Mika Fitzpatrick, but it was the 23rd overall pick, and if he was available at the 23rd overall pick, you would have taken him anyway. So we got better value for that pick. 
If Kip Keller was available in the third round of this draft, would you have taken Kip Keller in the third round? Uh, Absolutely. Yeah. So, best value pick in the draft, Kip Keller, third round pick for FC Cincinnati this year. This is why, you know, I, I understand rookie deals are are very lucrative in and of themselves for the NFL. But man, if I was a GM, I'd be trading all my picks for proven veteran talent because the draft pick is such a, a lottery versus like you give me a backup defensive lineman that has like five years in the league. Yeah, that's what I'd hope out of a third round draft pick. What I've learned about this today is that Kevin Wallace is a huge Los Angeles Rams fan because <laughs> like there was some absurd stat that the Rams hadn't had a first round pick in like two decades. And they've been pretty good. <laughs> Flags fly forever. Super Bowl winners. <laughs> Oh god! Uh, I, the other thing I want to talk about the super draft that Please. we didn't talk about. Oh god! I left something I, out. I never meant this to be a um, <laughs> super draft uh, <laughs> talk, but so in 2019, FC Cincinnati traded 150 thousand oh, dollars gam for um, every single one of Philadelphia Union's draft picks. Which is five picks, four picks. Yeah, it was. And that there were four rounds of the draft at the time. And I think that they actually traded <coughs> one of the picks for some gam back. So it was to like, the New York Red Bulls for about fifty thousand gam. Yeah. So they ended up just spending a hundred thousand. Um, DC gave Miami like three hundred thousand gam <laughs> for Miami's number first round draft pick, and then I saw somebody else give uh, like two hundred fifty thousand dollars gam. For somebody else's first round draft pick. And I'm like, we were excoriated for years for spending 150 for all the picks. All the picks. And teams are giving more than that for just one. As an expansion team without an academy, yeah, you throw as many dice <laughs> as you can and see how many come up Darlington Nagby, right? Like, of course, it made perfect sense for FC Cincinnati to do it. And again, Included with that is another head-scratching trade to Miami to give them way too much gam. Yeah, so Dallas swapped picks with Miami. Oh, my God. And gave them $30,000 gam. Oh, my God. <laughs> Jesus. <sighs> All I'm learning about this is that maybe Jeff Birding was underrated as a GM. <laughs> yeah. I, He's better than Nightcamp at a minimum. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think? All right, so... If you give Jeff Birding like a standard MLS roster to manage, would he finish worse than Toronto did this year? No. To manage as a coach? Like as a as a as a, to manage as a G, as a general manager. Like you give him the situation Toronto was in. He's no worse than that. No. No. What's funny is Toronto's GM literally went on Transfer Market and FIFA and like just searched for who are the highest rated guys out of contract. Like Birding could do that. <laughs> I mean, we've written entire articles based on that entire based on that premise. <laughs> I remember one year, I think I I think I put it out on Twitter where I just put I just listed might have been last year or the year before. I think it was 22. Um, where I just did a rank. I think we were missing. I think we needed like a left back or something. Yeah. And I was like, well, these are the best free agent left backs in the world. And one of them was an American was, was an MLS player out of con. It was like the best out of contract left backs. Okay. Um, and one of them was like, I forget his name, but, 
Um, I, but we actually brought him in on a, like on a trial and then just didn't sign him. He signed, he signed somewhere else. Um, but it was, yeah, sometimes that's all it takes. Yeah. Like, um, people act like there are these like really extensive scouting networks. Um, Especially Central American countries, uh, you'll see this happen where like super fans will discover a player with eligibility playing somewhere in the world. And I feel like the U.S. has done that as well of just like fan scouting will be like, holy shit, there's an American tearing it up in the Italian third division. <laughs> like somebody contact him and see if we can't get him moving in the right direction career wise. Like that absolutely happens. So. I feel like, yeah, Bert, especially Burning now, I bet he knows so much more about Gam than he did in 2019. <laughs> now he knows. Oh, if only he would have studied ahead of time. <laughs> the learning curve is is way ahead there. So bottom line, welcome to Cincinnati, Mr. Schaefer and Mr. Dem. Yes, exactly. Let's do it. Um, and I think we, we can wrap up this section by saying a probable farewell to one Alvaro Barriel and Brandon Vasquez, at least probably. We have been sort of operating under the assumption that they'd be leaving. It's not exactly clear where the big rumors are as of the time of recording. Uh, R.C. Lenz is what I'm going to choose to pronounce this as uh, in for Barriel. There is uh, confirmed interest from uh, Per Laurel Thaler. And then with Brandon Vasquez, there seems to be a weird sort of dueling narrative going on here where he has been strongly linked to Monterey in Liga MX in Mexico. And then at the same time, we're hearing from folks across the pond uh, connected to Brentford saying that he is headed there and that Mexico is not in play. So, so where do you want to go with this? We got to gotta correct that a little bit, Kevin. Oh, please, please, please. Um, so the sources that... so. Today, okay. there emerged a narrative uh, that he was not going to go to Monterey. Okay. That he was actually going to go likely to Brentford. Right. And the most prominent account that I saw say that was a account out of Mexico. Ah, okay. But it's one with like 60,000 uh, followers, Brentford. including one Tom Bogert follows this account. Mm. So it's it's from a journalist of some note. However, it looks like the Brentford thing is still sourced back to the Telegraph, mm. which the Telegraph, as far as I can tell, has last reported on that December 12th. Okay. There was a lot of sm a lot of chatter about Monterey all this week, but I was I could not find an account that had more than like 300 followers <laughs> that was talking about the Monterey deal as being like close um so that might happen okay and the number so you know i i don't know maybe it happens tomorrow and this comes out and we're, right and we're right. like but <clears throat> the numbers that were linked to monterey and again these were by accounts with like 300 followers that i couldn't tell like what they're where they're getting it from yeah was like seven and a half million dollars with the potential three million in add-ons which I think would be a great yeah, number. That'd be yeah. lovely. For, <clears throat> for Brandon. Um, Monterey is a strange destination. Uh, it's a big club. But, you know, if you look at their if you look at their salaries, 
Uh, I think it was like Rahelio Funes Mori is yeah. like who he's viewed as replacing. Funes Mori is on like nine hundred thousand dollars. Yeah. Um, that wouldn't be like a meaningful raise for Brandon, if at all. Right. Depending on what his number is going to be next year. We know he got a big raise. I think his guaranteed comp uh, is over a million. I'm not sure what year of his contract or what option year, you know, mm-hmm. puts him puts him at that level. But um, it doesn't I don't view Monterey as like a substantial step up in competition. It is a step up in stature of the club. Hundred percent. Right. Don't don't disagree there. I don't view it as a real jump in competition, so I don't think it's the type of move that puts him in the picture better for the World Cup yeah. in 26. And um, I don't know that it would be, <clears throat> you know, that big of a jump salary-wise just based on, like, their pay scale. Because, like, Mexico has more players making more money than MLS. Right. But at the top of the scale, it's not higher. It tops out. Like, yeah. you're talking... A lot, you're talking more guys making TAM level deals. Right. We're not talking about a bunch of guys making DP money. Right. On MLA, on Liga MX teams. It's a starting eleven where everybody's making, let's say, around eight hundred thousand to a million dollars a year, but nobody's making more than like four million dollars a year. So, so, yeah. so Brentford would be a jump up in competition. This is the Premier League, right? Um, we don't have a striker. Playing in the Premier League right now, huh? Um, we don't have very many players, even on Premier League rosters right now. Right, especially if you take Leeds out of the equation. Well, Leeds is a championship team. Oh shit! No, there you uh, go. <laughs> we have we have like two guys on Fulham. You got that's what I was Matt, thinking. It was Matt, Fulham. <laughs> you got Matt Turner at Nottingham Forest. Tyler Adams is injured, but he's at Burnmouth. Mm-hmm. Is that it? Uh, Zach Steffen still technically on the books at Man City. Exactly what I was saying. Somebody's on the books at Man City. Yeah. Uh, Ethan Horvath, I think, is on the books at Luton Town. Oh, is he? No, he didn't go up with that. No, no, he's no. He's still. No, no. He's still. I don't. Anyway, I don't. I don't know. Yeah. But the point is, Brentford would fit the bill for what Brandon has expressed that he wants. Yeah. Which is a move to Europe that helps his standing with the national team and helps him play at the highest levels. Um. The problem with that is a bunch of accounts are tweeting the Bert, the Brentford thing like it's new, but they're citing the Telegraph, and the Telegraph, as far as I can tell, hasn't mentioned it since December twelfth. Right. So I don't know. I don't know what is causing the Brentford stuff to suddenly get pushed. Yeah, I guess the only thing would be. Um, I, I guess Ivan Tony's probably leaving, and I'm sure Vasquez's name is on their shopping list. Is he the sixth target to them? We'll see. I do think a lot of this will start to move once the European window opens yeah. officially in, in January. On January, the, the other thing to remember too is that the Monterey reports that everyone was citing. This person that's reporting this, I don't know who it is. Obviously, it's somebody on Twitter, but. This person was talking that Monterey and Brandon Vasquez were a done deal over the summer. Right. This person also uh, took to Twitter over the summer to claim that it was a done deal that uh, Alan Valesco was going to join Liga MX 
as a done deal. And not only did he not move, he stayed with Dallas and ended up tearing his ACL in the MLS Cup playoffs. So whoever this person is that's reporting this and people are treating it like it's gospel, a grain of salt on the Monterey portion of the deal, because there's a lot of this Monterey thing that just doesn't make sense. Vasquez has said over and over again, his goal is to play in Europe. Yeah. He, there's the chatter that you hear online about his national status and his, or sorry, his national team status. By his own statement, he has never spoken to anyone associated with the Mexican national team. So this idea out there of, oh, maybe he goes to Mexico to use a one-time transfer, he can't. which he can't, A, and B, yeah, yeah it's, it's just, there's nothing it, there's, to it. The point yeah. is, is there's a lot of noise about yeah. this, and you have people that are saying things online that are demonstrably false, like about his ability to use a one-time transfer. It's silly season. We expect him to leave. I don't expect him to go to Mexico. I think that if he was going to go to Mexico, he would have already gone. And I think like Grayson said, he's going to have a difficult time probably making more money than he would in MLS. And I would expect if the market isn't there for him in Europe right now, I'd honestly expect him to stay and try and rebound his value here in MLS. I think going going to Liga MX, and I'm not going to tell anybody how to run their career. Like, okay, so like, don't, don't get me wrong here, but, um, you know, it may get him a short term raise, but I view it as a career limiting move. Yeah. Kind of like a neck tattoo. Yeah. (laughs) For normal people, not for, you know, not for soccer players. No. That it might actually help your career. To get yeah, it would. Yeah. <laughs> I would say, like, all things being equal, I'll take the guy with the neck, <laughs> neck tattoo. Right. I'll put a face tattoo even put better. Put a pin in that because in segment two, we're going to be talking about someone that has a neck tattoo that I never realized. Um, so we we talked about this with Miles Robinson a couple weeks ago, where, you know, when is the time to go to Europe? And Brandon's time to go to Europe is in the next year. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it, you know, you could argue, and maybe it will, it will have panned out this way, that his time to go to Europe was last summer. And, you know, if, if he missed out, you know, I've, I'm sorry about that. But if I'm, his, if I'm in his position, I'm thinking the only way to, like, really take my career to the next level is to go to Europe. And if you go to Europe and fail, you come back to MLS on like a high TAM or DP deal. Yeah. Yeah. It's how that works. You, you go Europe- to Liga MX and fail. Yeah. You come back to MLS on like kind of a regular deal. Now we say that, but the case study of the opposite would be one Lucho Acosta. Yeah. He was, but he was already like a high dollar player in MLS. Yeah. Yeah, the, the Monterey deal is is a little odd, too, from Monterey's perspective. So I was looking at this. Their top transfers of all time, uh, Rodolfo Pizarro, by the way, is their record holder in 2018-2019, $14 million. Uh, number four on that list, Vincent Jansen from Spurs, $9 million. The other thing is Sky Sports today, speaking of Vincent Jansen, uh, Sky Sports today said that... Um, Monterey approached uh, Fulham about Carlos Vinicius, oh. uh, another center forward, another former Tottenham flameout. Interesting. Um, 
So if and I trust like Sky Sports, like okay, well, I, if Sky Sports says Monterey approached right uh, Fulham for Carlos Vinicius, I believe that. Yeah, like it's Sky, but I don't think that they would make up that specific fact. Right, and if that's the case, that would maybe indicate that Brandon Vasquez is no longer available to them. Right, could so, also mean that they're shopping for a center forward, and that they got a number of irons in the fire. Yeah, um, uh, Grayson, then, you'll appreciate this. Number five on Monterey's all-time list, Ake Loba. <laughs> <laughs> and, and then the other thing is, is all the the people that have linked Vasquez to Monterey have said that it's contingent on Monterey moving some of their forwards. Yeah. And so, <clears throat> you know, I don't, if it's contingent on stuff, there's not a deal. <laughs> right. And FC Cincinnati and Brandon Vasquez, frankly, are not going to be sitting around thinking like, well, this is a done deal if three other things happen. So we're done. <laughs> right. So we're done shopping this window. <laughs> Especially when it, see, it does seem to balance, you know, European teams doing this and MLS teams doing that. So, yeah, it may be a little maybe a little more up in the air than uh, than than we'd expect. Um, the other one that does appear to be a little more uh, secure is uh, Bariel to RC Lens. Um, at the very least, there's mutual interest that does seem to fit the profile of what Barial would be looking for. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't know how much there's to say about this. Just that it's the market is. It's interesting because the the market is now heating up for Barial. Yeah, where we've assumed Barial was going to be on the move. Yep, but there had been a dearth of actual reporting that anyone was really interested in Barial up until right. Now, like over the summer, we were like, oh, is Barrio going to move? And it turns out there just wasn't a lot of, I think with a P, that, uh, that PSV maybe or, or IX, IX was, one, yeah. was kicking the tires. But that wasn't even like, we was just, I heard from someone who heard from someone. Right, right. So this is the first real reporting that, that Barrio is actually, the, there's a market heating up for him. And so, yeah, good. Yeah, good. Right. That's like the, pro that's like where I'm at with a lot of this stuff right. is, just if they're gonna go, let's go. Yeah, and let's get on with the process of getting our our tricky Don Fun Bucks and in, uh, infusion, so we can start to buy replacement players. Yeah. But all of these things are contingent upon dominoes falling of people actually getting sold. So let's get with the business of selling people. Exactly, and I guess the the one thing I have been sort of under the impression that we only needed like two to three million dollars of a transfer fee for Barial to get that whole million. Uh, I'd completely forgotten that uh, uh, Banfield still owns like 20%? Velez. Velez owns... Sar it's Velez Sar Sarsfield. So Sars okay. Banfield's the veterinarian hospital. Sorry. Yeah. I, I got there. I, that was a name that was in my head for some reason. Um, I think Ban Banfield's another club. Okay. <laughs> but they um, they own some percentage of... His rights. So I think FCC needs somewhere closer to four or five million dollars transfer fee to, to get the fully clear million dollar gam. I think they own something like 30 percent of his rights or something like that. I thought it was like 20 or 25 okay. percent. But the point still remains. They need there's a it's a higher than a straight dollar amount in order to. Yeah. They, maximize they'll, it. They'll want to clear that percentage for 
uh, is Argentinian Club to get the uh, their cut of it before we get that full game. So, um, so yeah, no, and that's Chief, as you said, that's pretty much what it is. Is in order for FCC to really have the flexibility to bring players in, they got to move players out, and I don't know what the books look like, but I'm sure things look really precarious if both Barriel and Vasquez are on the match day one roster of FC Cincinnati. Um, well, they gave them both like poison pill contracts right. to some extent, like Brandon more so than Alvaro. Yeah. Um, Alvaro's option years, I think are going to be based on what his guaranteed comp number was. I think they're going to be somewhere approaching, you know, anywhere from like, 500k to the 600 some range up to that maximum uh maximum salary budget number but brandon is like mid to high tam yeah he could with be his race they took him from like 200k to they like quintupled his salary right <laughs> and then yeah to then expect to get presumably from his perspective another raise on top of that elsewhere in the world where yeah, you, you end up in this funny spot that a lot of players in his, his position have, which is you almost price yourself out of a non-MLS market. Now, that's sad. If Brandon's making a million dollars and he's scoring 18 to 20 league goals. Sure. Sure. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's, that's exactly what we'd be looking for in his right. replacement. Yeah. So. And let's be honest, like we're already paying Sergio Santos close to $800,000. So if you tell me Brandon Vasquez, if, you, if the choice is Sergio Santos at 800K, or Brandon Vasquez for two hundred thousand more at a million. It's Brandon Vasquez a thousand times out of a thousand. Like yeah. that's not even a debate, right? Yeah. And it's, he's going to be a guy who's hard to replace anyway. Yeah. Um, I don't know what they're thinking um, on how to replace him, but I would think it'd be tough to find an international striker who wouldn't require a transfer fee, which means that we're again like in the high tam. Yeah. Uh. There's a couple of MLS free agents who I think are promising, but not like <clears throat> you're talking like I would I would prefer to think of them as like Baji replacements than like Vasquez replacements. Right. Like right. your Corey Baird uh, or, you know, Danny Masofsky, who have shown ability to score in the league and probably would be useful. But am I confident either would be. Better than Brandon? No. No. Uh, and Bupenza was doing so great at the end of this year that, yeah, if you told me that, like, we were running that back, I, I wouldn't hate it. I wouldn't hate it at all. So, um, well, here, to, to wrap up, and I am so sorry, we've had so much soccer talk on this podcast. Uh, to wrap it up, I, I think we should each offer up a New Year's resolution for FC Cincinnati. I think that's fair. Chief, would you would you care to to So is this a resolution like we're speaking from like is it my personal FC Cincinnati New Year's mm -hmm. resolution or am I speaking on behalf of if I was the entity of FC Cincinnati what my New Year's resolution I'll would let be. you go whichever direction you'd like on that. Okay. So my personal New Year's resolution is to be more obnoxious and insufferable online. Oh, good. That's good. That's my personal <laughs> New Year's resolution. Um, my other New Year's resolution is I would like to try and make a few more trips out of town to see this team at like more interesting places yeah. than 
than uh, that city up north. If I were the FC as an organization, yes, my New Year's resolution this year would be to win MLS Cup mm-hmm. or win a cup tournament of some sort. Okay. Um, MLS Cup preferable, but my resolution this year is to win something in a pressure situation. That's a Pat Noonan resolution of you got to win an elimination game when the chips are down and you got to prove that you can do that. That's sort of the next step for this club to take. They were on balance very good last year. They were terrible when it mattered. And so that has to change, I think. So my resolution this year is to win a cup competition for for FC Cincinnati. And not the Carolina Challenge Cup. I just want to get ahead of that. No. Grayson, do you have? Yeah. um, My New Year's resolution for FC Cincinnati is, um, yeah, you know, I'm like tempted to like put like specific like player signings and stuff on it, but I'm not going to do that. Um. My uh my somebody my personal resolution is to attend an away day at a stadium at a, at a city that I've never been to. Ooh, feels like it'll be hard for you. You feel well traveled. Yeah, but there's a I, there there are a few cities on the like I've never been to Orlando. Interesting. So that would be one. You're missing never, quite a bit. I've never been to San Jose. <laughs> San Jose would be fun. Uh, never been to Dallas. Or Frisco, I'm assuming. Or Frisco. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, maybe you made it to Frisco and not no, Dallas. So, yeah. <laughs> so that's my, that's my New Year's resolution, is I'm going to go like to an it. away game in a city I've never been to. I like it. I like it. Um, I think for me, my personal one, uh, I, I want to do more video stuff in general. So I, I'd, like to see, I'd like to see the YouTube channel alive. Um, and then I think for FCC, it'd be flares. I think that's my New Year's resolution. I'd like to see the club, and I, I know this is putting a lot on the supporters groups as well, but I'd like to see flares. I like, I like that. I think there's a solution there, and I'd like to be one of the first clubs to be able to do it legally. I think that'd be good. I like that. Flares. More pyro. Yeah. Um, my New Year's resolution for the postcast, though. Please. I would like to see at least five more sponsors this year. I want... If you have money and you own a business, slide into the DMs, make my resolution come true. Let's let's connect those dots. Let's do it. (laughs) Well, there you go. Well, hey, maybe we revisit revisit these at the end of next year, assuming the podcast is still going. You never know when you never know when the good old days are happening. No one tells you. So true. Um, Well. Now that we've gotten the soccer out of the way, we can finally get to the meat and potatoes of the episode. We we warned you last episode. We are going back into the film room. This time, last action hero. We've got the takes ready to go. Head on over to part two. Let's get it done. This episode is also brought to you by Cincy Shirts. Look, you know Cincy Shirts. You love Cincy Shirts. They've been with FCC from the beginning. And we here at the Postcast, we're just huge fans of their work. They were very early sponsors of the Postcast here. And we have 
always enjoyed their work. If you head on over to CincyShirts.com, that's Cincy with a Y, Shirts.com, and check out using the promo code ThePostCincy, all one word, all caps, you will get 10% off your order and you let them know that we sent you. Like they have MLS and MLSPA licensed FCC gear available online and at their two retail locations in Hyde Park and Fort Mitchell. If they don't have your size on the shelf, they can print you one on the spot. That is a fantastic feature and something that I have used as well. So again, special thank you to Cincy Shirts. Head on over to their website or check the link down below in the description for the promo code the Cincy for 10% off your next order. And a huge thank you to Cincy Shirts. All right, we are back part two. Uh, I know I'm I'm getting into another beverage here. Um, Me too. Because this is <laughs> wait, wait, wait. There we go. I opened mine when we stopped the recording at commercial break. I, <laughs> I screwed up. That's on me. That's a Jimbo on my part. The uh, the now the beverages are needed. Uh, our our mouths will go dry talking about this. Now we are on to the last action hero, uh, Chief. You you highlighted this one for us. Uh, you brought this to our attention. Uh, so I don't know if somebody is unfamiliar. I don't, I don't know how would you one. Why are you listening to? How would you nice. describe it? Okay, so this describe movie, what? Did you say what the movie is? I thought I did. The last action hero. Last yeah, last action, action hero. Last yes. action hero. So this movie has always had like a special place in my heart. I love, unapologetically love, mid-90s, early 90s action movies. Yes. Um, I especially love the Stallone mid-90s, early 90s action movies and the Schwarzenegger mid-90s, early 90s action movies. I love all of Schwarzenegger's film library. Yes. But for some reason, this movie in particular is... We have I, to do Jingle All the Way next year. Oh, oh yeah. Okay. Jingle all, all right. the way. Right. Put, put a pin in that. There's yeah. a lot to talk about yeah. there. I'm sorry to interrupt. But... All right. No, no, no. You're fine on that. That's a that's a that's a great shout, actually. So this movie has a reputation of being Schwarzenegger's first box office bomb. Right. Where like the 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 shine on the star kind of started to lose its luster. And I don't understand it because this is my favorite Arnold Schwarzenegger movie. And I think it has a lot in common with movies like Starship Troopers and Mystery Men in that they were completely misunderstood by the film-going public at the time and that these movies have aged like fine wine. So Last Action Hero, if you haven't seen it, stop this podcast and go watch it. It's a really, really cheap rent on any number of streaming services or pirate it, contact someone you know that has a Plex server, do whatever I it is. I bought it for $4.99 on Amazon Prime. Kevin? It was a dollar more than renting it. I rented it like a moron for $3.99 <laughs> from Apple because it was $14 to purchase when I looked there. Always shop around, that's rule number one. So this was an Arnold Schwarzenegger movie from the early to mid-90s, directed by John McTiernan, who yep. is an action movie legend of the 1980s. Um, the premise of this film is that Arnold Schwarzenegger is a playing a character named Jack Slater, who is a movie character played by Arnold Schwarzenegger. Yes. So there, there, in this fictional universe, there is a fictional film series that uh, stars Arnold Schwarzenegger called Jack Slater. 
And they are everything that you, when you picture <laughs> an over-the-top 90s action movie, that's the Jack Slater franchise. Yes. Um, Arnold just doing nothing but puns, uh, quips, uh, jokes. Uh, there's too many explosions. Hard rock soundtrack with like ACDC playing in the background. Smoking a big cigar in front of an explosion that yeah. just happened. Yes. Yeah. Yes. You know, cops that say shit like two days until retirement as they're blown up. <laughs> um, and so in this fictional universe, uh, Jack Slater is the number one action movie franchise. They're up to Jack Slater 4. And so this movie is about a kid who views these movies as his ultimate form of escape and gets invited by a guy working a projectionist that he's becomes friends with, a projectionist, to come see an early screening of Jack Slater 4, the newest movie. The projectionist gives him a magic ticket, bear with me on this, Yes, that when he tears it... The, a ticket that was given to the projectionist by Harry Houdini. <laughs> Not really a magician, more of a... <laughs> <laughs> more of an escapist. Escapist. Right? <laughs> Which plays into the theme of, I guess, escapism. Right. It's true. And a lot when, of handcuffs. <laughs> when he tears this magic ticket, this magic ticket then transports this kid into the universe of the action movie. Yes. Which behaves incredibly strictly by action movie rules. <laughs> and what I love about this movie, and I don't know if you guys picked up on this, but that what I love about this movie is that at its heart, this is one of the oldest stories ever told. And that is person transported into the world of fiction. This is through the looking glass. Yeah. This is any number of other... Never-ending story. Never-ending yeah. story. It's such a timeless story that I don't think people recognized it for what it was when it was being told. And the way that it plays with action movie tropes yes. is just perfect in every way. And I want to say about that, that if this movie was made today, Oh my god. It would be dog shit. Oh, whoa. I think I think And here's here's why. Please talk okay. to me cuz I have the exact opposite idea. Um and we'll talk when we get to the ending, I'm going to bring I'm going to come back to this to this okay. thought because I I especially had this thought at the ending of the movie because I thought about how they would end this movie today Ooh, okay. versus how they do it in the movie. And how they do it in the movie is so good. Um but the movie it does play on the action movie tropes, but it also hits the action movie beats and is itself like a really good version of one of these action movies. Yeah. While also, <clears throat> I think, tastefully commenting on them versus I think I think if they made the movie today. It would be too. It would be too like in love with how clever it is. Mm. And it would go way over the top on commenting on it would get too meta because I think that we are just way more meta in yeah. movies today. Yeah. It would want to it would want to deconstruct the action movie. Cuz this is like before like a, even like a scream. Yes. Right? Like this is the beginning right. of like genre films commenting on themselves. And today we've in my opinion way overdone it yeah i think that i think that's what i was thinking is i think at the peak of marvel's sort of power 
uh, it was, say, say somewhere around like 2014 to 2016. I think this type of movie, like if it had been, if it had come out then, I think it would have been perfect. That it was like the correct amount of like absurd references, which the references were, I think, a lot more subtle than what we get today. But there were right. tons of not just action movie references, but just like movie references in general. Um the T-1000 is in this. Yeah, the, T-1000, the T-1000 walking out of the police Sharon station. Sharon Stone, Stone from Basic Instinct is in this. Yeah. <laughs> She's playing her character from Basic Instinct. Yes, for, for what just amounts a, to a, a quarter of a second yeah, on yeah, yeah. screen. And only the kid notices for just a moment. And yeah, like it's, it's very, very well done in that regard. But yeah, it is very meta. And I love that the action movie itself is an absurd campiness, even for the campiness of early 90s action movies that like itself is like literally throwing cartoon sticks of dynamite and things yeah, like and that. I think like, it's important that like John McTiernan directed it because John McTiernan, you know, he directed Die Hard, he mm-hmm. directed Predator for folks who don't, he don't, he directed Hunt for Red October. Yeah. Like he had made great, you know, non-satirical <laughs> action movies like yeah. followed these story beats yes right. at the very top of the genre that these are so, essentially making fun of in a way right this wasn't like some jokester coming out and making right. this was this was like an action auteur making this movie and it was written by shane black mm. who uh wrote uh at least the first couple lethal weapon movies he wrote one of my favorite movies of all time the long kiss goodnight Great movie. Um, he he wrote Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. Ooh. He wrote The Nice Guys. Um, he wrote great The Last movie. Boy Scout. Another um, great movie. He's so it, and he's more. He's a little bit like he, like the Lethal Weapon movies. You can even see like some seeds. Yeah. Of like commenting like the I'm too old for this shit is like yeah yeah <laughs> like you can even see like some seeds of that. But this is but it's also somebody who. I view him as I view Shane Black as like a kind of like a like a Tarantino esque figure mm. where he's like somebody who like clearly like grew up just like loving movies right. and just like writes the kinds of movies that he loved watching growing up and it just I I think his whole I think his whole collection is great and actually he actually was on the set of Predator he was one of the he was one of the Navy Seal team members because he served as like the writer on set to like punch up stuff (laughs) but they didn't have like budget to hire a writer to be on set so they hired him as like a minor actor (laughs) to give him (laughs) something to do on set i think i think the other thing that i that i want to talk about right out of the shoot on this movie that also makes it work so like we were when we were doing our little photo shoot earlier today we were talking about (laughs) other movies and one of the movies that came up was a really, really bad slash great sci-fi movie, Jupiter Ascending, yes. where the actors all are playing a different character in the movie. They're all like legitimately, they're all filming a different movie. Right. What makes this movie work, though, Last Action Hero specifically, is that all the actors are really committed yes. to the bit. And they make what I think is one of the best casting choices in this genre when they have Charles Dance playing the main villain. And he just obliterates the scenery in every scene he's in. You would probably, if you're younger, you probably better know him as Tywin Lannister in Game of Thrones. And he is a villain in this movie. 
that as at the same time he is slight he's portrayed as slightly a coward. Yep. But the way that it twists the idea of he is a villain in a movie that recognizes at some point that he is a villain in a movie. Yes. And then is empowered by the fact that when he escapes the movie verse, <laughs> that he is going someplace where the bad guy wins. It's so well done. So funny He's thing like about that. He's such a pastiche of like multiple yes. versions of that. Because you can see you can see some of like Alan Rickman and Die Hard in mm -hmm. him. So this you know? is the funny thing. Yeah. Rickman was supposed to be that character. Oh, he was originally cast as him. That would make sense. And they didn't get Rickman because he was too expensive. So when they hired Dance, he apparently for weeks wore a t-shirt that said, I'm cheaper than Alan Rickman on a t-shirt <laughs> on set. I had to go look that up. She's like, I can't imagine anyone other than Charles Dance playing this. He nails it. Like, he, he just nails it. it. And it's subtle things, too. He's got, like, the neck tattoos and the arm tattoos. But, like, he dresses in a suit in every scene. Yes. So yes. you can tell that there is, there is a toughness to this person that he is trying to cover up. That he is a street thug made good in some ways. That yes. like he is quite literally wearing a costume this entire movie. Yes. Like he is dressed up into this role. And his glass and, eyes can be swapped out to play whatever role he right, needs, yeah. right? So he it's like it's the ultimate sign that he's an actor right here. Yes. Is that like he's swapping this out? <laughs> and I love that the trope in this movie is that the the henchman is actually smarter. Yes. Than, Which is a trope. Yeah, yeah. It's a major trope. <laughs> yeah. Is that the henchman is actually smarter than the, the mob boss he's working for. Yes. And the running gag of him always correcting his boss <laughs> on getting like little sayings and yes. like witticisms wrong is just so perfect for this genre that like everybody's got to have a little gimmick. And his gimmick is he corrects the boss every time that he says something wrong. The boss it, played by Anthony Quinn another like famous actor and like there's a lot of famous actors oh. in like very small roles the cast list <laughs> on this is insane especially oh. later at the premiere where you have celebrities or playing play themselves, themselves. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. or that they get ian mckellen to play death at right. the end of the movie let's talk about that later okay yes. all right sorry. we have to talk about we have to talk about that sequence just like near the end okay it's so good yeah it's so good but like f murray abraham yes. plays the corrupt cop and yeah. like the kid calls out that he was solieri <laughs> right. and amadeus and then when when when, when Arnold, Schwar Arnold Schwarzenegger had never heard Mozart in the movie universe. Mm -hmm. So when he goes to the real world, he listens to Mozart for the first time. And he's like, oh, this is the guy. The guy that practice killed. This is Yes, this is the guy that practice killed. <laughs> <laughs> practice is the name of F. Murray Abraham's character, like in the Jack Slater movie. And just perfect that his name is John Practice, which like I think is an homage to John Matrix. Which was uh, Schwarzenegger's character in Commando. Yeah. Just yeah. an absurd name. And he's got his own little in joke about his name. Yeah. How do you get to Carnegie Hall? <laughs> Practice, you hey. son of a bitch. Yeah. <laughs> Which is also classical music related. Yeah. <laughs> so the, the movie eventually ends up with this kid in it's, it's it turns into almost so like wait, hold on. Before we go to where it eventually ends up. No, I'm just saying the middle part oh, of the movie. Yeah. So the movie ends up with this kid getting transported into this movie universe. Very much like Connecticut Yan Yankee and King Arthur's Court type thing. Person out of time and out of place. And him attempting to convince Jack Slater yes. that the world that he's living in is actually a movie. And Slater having a response to every single thing he says. Because <laughs> in his universe, this all makes sense. Yeah. Like, they show up in a blockbuster video. Which I just, I yes. love this scene for any number of reasons. <laughs> and they go and he's like, we're going to go to the Schwarzenegger film section. 
And the woman says, what, foreign films? Because Schwarzenegger <laughs> doesn't exist here. And they go, and there's a cardboard cutout oh. of Sylvester Stallone in Terminator 2. Yeah. <laughs> Number one, I want to know who ended up with that prop. Oh, yeah. And I want that prop, the, the cardboard cutout of Sly Stallone yeah. as Terminator. Which I'm counting as a cameo, because he had to have signed off on Absolutely. that in some way. Well, I think they both are co-owners of Planet Hollywood. Uh, Which, Planet Hollywood gets a plug late in the movie. <laughs> oh, yeah, 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 yeah. And then Maria Shriver yells at Arnold Schwarzenegger. This is not an important plot detail, so I'm going to say right now. So later on, they go to the actual like premiere of this Jack Slater movie, and Arnold Schwarzenegger is there playing himself, getting interviewed about the movie, and at the end of his interview, he throws in a plug for Planet Hollywood, and then they walk away from the journalist, and Maria Shriver, his real-life wife... At the time. At the time, um, like yells at him yes. for like shamelessly plugging Planet Hollywood. <laughs> it's a very funny little bit. So they're in the blockbuster, and yes. it's like um, he asks every person in the block the blockbuster, "What's your phone number?" And they all say five five five, which is the classic movie trope yep. about phone numbers. And he says, "Haven't you noticed that there are no normal looking women <laughs> at all?" Because this is a movie, and it's true that when they're in the movie verse. Every woman is like they are dressed to like the absurdity level of ten, oh, yes. like almost like it's almost like sexual fetish type stuff. Yeah, where they're all wearing leather and latex, and like like they're wearing like jewelry on top of their breasts to try and accentuate that. It's all yes. just like it's this absurd over the top thing. And his response is, "It's not that they're all beautiful. This is just California. This is just the way it is." Right <laughs> and now. the kid, the kids, like the kids, like she's too beautiful to be working here. And Arnold like turns to her, he's like, "I agree." He's like, yeah, like, there should be working with us. To... undercover, of course. Because yeah. <laughs> <laughs> in this movie, he's like a scumbag. A yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh my god, yeah, that scene is great. Uh, I will say though, having having seen the film, so this was my first time watching it, and at least in its entirety, and. The beginning portion where uh, the kid gets like robbed in his apartment and everything. Later on, I maybe I missed it. There's no payoff. That serves no purpose. So the so the setup is so the kid lives in a in a shitty apartment mm -hmm. with his with his mom in a pre Giuliani New York. Yeah, I was about yeah. to say and it's important to note that the New York in this movie. <laughs> Is what New York looked used to look like before broken windows policing became. It's a what thing. it's what your parents think New York is now. Right? Yes. <laughs> uh, it, so his his dad. They established early on that his dad died. Right. And so his mom is just trying. He's just skating by. They live in a dangerous building. Um, he can't. She goes to work, and he's like not allowed to leave the apartment, yeah. which is like. She works third shift, is what it looks like. Yeah, he opens Probably the door. Interesting. Yeah, it looks yeah. like that. He opens the door and immediately, like, like a like a junkie, like, knocks the door down, like pushes yeah. the door in and, and robs him. And um, it's just like kind of, I think it's establishing like, <clears throat> like one, like he has like no control over like anywhere, right? Like he's got no real safety. Yeah, and the fact that his dad like died. Right. Um, he explains like why he has latched on to the Jack Slater character. Right. Because Jack he like views Jack Slater as a father figure. <sighs> He's seen the movies like so many times. Right. He knows them all beat by beat. And he clearly like because he's sitting in the movie theater and he's predicting what's going to happen as he's watching the movie. Right. right. Um 
And he clearly is taking comfort in the predictability right. of these films. I think because life has mm. thrown him many, many curveballs, but he can sit in a theater that and know exactly when there's an explosion, two of the cops are going to die, but Jack Slater is going to get out perfectly fine. Right. And everything's going to work out like exactly in a predictable way. Jack Slater is always going to be alive at the end of the movie. Right. He's always going to come out on top and he's always going to like protect all the people that he's supposed to protect for the most part. Yeah. He does have like a, <laughs> like his, his kid dies in like Jack Slater three. Right. Right. So like, I, I think that it's the, the reason why they set it up the way they do is that this kid craves a universe where the good guys always win and the bad guys always mm. lose. Yep. And what this, the, the point of that scene, I think it's twofold. Number one, it establishes why he has keys for handcuffs later on in the movie when he uh, escapes. Okay, that is that is the, the one of the payoffs. Okay. Is that he has the keys in his pocket because he gets handcuffed to a pipe. And that's right. how he, like, the guy that robs him is like, throws the keys in the toilet because his house is such a shithole. Right. There's nothing worth stealing in his house. Right. right. Yeah. And so I think the point is to establish, number one, where he lives is terrible. That he has no control and no agency over his own life. And that, like, what he is craving is a universe where good is always good, is bad is always bad. And part of this movie is him growing to the idea that he doesn't need to escape to a movie universe for that to be real, that that can be real in his world. Which right. is why when the movie moves into the second act, and in the second act, Charles Dance eventually steals the magic ticket from him <laughs> uh, from, and then moves into the real world. Yes. And then he and Arnold follow, and Jack Slater follow into the real world. Jack Slater can still be a hero in the real world. Right. And so this is him learning that where he is can still be a place where good can beat evil. Because all he's known his entire life is the bad guys win. Mm -hmm. And he's given up on the idea that the good guys can win in the real world. And that's kind of like the mea culpa in that moment at the end. Yeah. Where it's, um, so like when, when they move to the real world, there is an incredible scene where, oh, yes. where Charles Dance, uh, the villain, Benedict, he like walks up to a dude that's a mechanic in New York and just says, excuse me, I'd like to try, I need your help with something. The guy's like, yeah, what do you need? I need you to try, I need to try a theory out on you. And he just pulls his gun out and just blows this guy away. And then stands out in the middle of the street saying, I just shot a man in cold blood. Because he, in his world, yes. the cops always respond. It's almost like Grand Theft Auto. Right. Where, yeah. like, when you fire the gun off, you immediately get a wanted star because the game is programmed that right, way. Right, right. And him discovering that not only can he kill someone, but he can shout about it. And the only thing he's going to hear is someone upstairs yelling, will you shut pipe up. down already yeah. and shut up? <laughs> so he thinks, Charles Dance thinks, he has gone to a world and he says this in his big bad guy soliloquy at the end of the yes. movie, which I love to pieces. Like, <laughs> he's owning every bit of this. The music is so cool. They're using, like, this sort of off-key piano as he's talking. Yeah. That's really, really cool. And he's punctuating it with a gunshot each time he talks. And he says, you know why I love this world, Jack? Because in this world, the bad guys can win. <laughs> and it's like, this entire movie is building to that moment where... He doesn't end up winning, even though he's the right, villain right. and he's in a place where, where where Danny thinks villains win. Even in this world, the good guys can still win. Yeah. And I on the, in that soliloquy, um, I took a note on that because I just I loved it so much. But he lists like all the because his plan, he's like expresses his plan. Yes. To bring out all these villains. Right. And he says Dracula, King Kong, Freddy Krueger 
Hannibal Lecter. Hannibal Rosemary's, Lecter will do the catering. Rosemary's Baby and Adolf Hitler. Hitler. <laughs> <laughs> Who, I, I guess in his universe is like, it's like in the Jack Slater universes, is Hitler a fictional character? What? <laughs> I didn't even think about that. And what movie would he go to to bring in Downfall? Adolf Hitler? <laughs> right. <laughs> it, so would he go to like Charlie Chaplin's The Great Dictator? <laughs> would he go to the uh, the the uh, Mel Brooks film The Producers or like Ooh, Indiana Jones to be or not to be? Indiana oh, yeah. Jones and Last Crusade. Last Crusade. Yeah, there Indiana Jones gets the autograph from Adolf Hitler in that movie. There you go. I was trying to figure out like what movie. He would go to to bring out Hitler, <laughs> and I just love like Hitler listed next to like Dracula right. and King Kong. Like if it would have been like Darth Vader, I would have been like, okay, right. that's you know terrifying, but no, Adolf Hitler, or at least not another one like a Napoleon or Genghis Khan. Also, like, if you, need... you threw Hitler into just New York City, what's he gonna do? There was a uh, there was a German TV show. Yeah, yeah, I've heard. I think I know what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah, where he does like, like take over. He just he just shows up randomly, and everybody thinks it's hilarious that this guy looks just like Hitler. And it's it's almost more of like a George Santos thing, where it's like such a weird curiosity. Everybody keeps focusing on him, and he, yeah, he just slowly accumulates power. That there was way. a there was a British sitcom called like my neighbor adolf or something in the 80s <laughs> and it lasted like two episodes because there was just like such an, uh, it was just about like people living in like a like an england like neighborhood and their neighbors are the hitlers who <laughs> greenlit this it was it was like so poorly received that they just canceled it after like one or two episodes i, I can't imagine why you can find you can find at least one episode on youtube my neighbor Adolf. I think it's called. I think that's what it's called. Yeah. Uh, it was not a German TV show. It was a German film, and the film's title is perfect. It's no, Look no, no. Who's Back. It's not. It's not my look neighbor Adolf. <laughs> uh, look who's. While, back. while Grayson is looking for that, yeah. um, it's called. Sorry. <laughs> it was. It's called. It was canceled after one episode. <laughs> it's even better. It's called Heil, Honey, I'm Home. <laughs> <laughs> Holy shit. <laughs> and it centers on Adolf Hitler and Ava Braun, who live next door to a Jewish couple. <laughs> oh, Jesus Christ. Wow. Somebody somebody said yes to that. Uh, um, before we go deep on the uh, the end of the movie, which is, there's quite a bit to unpack there. Yeah. Uh, should point out that the... I guess the midpoint of the film is centered around an incredibly elaborate fart joke. Like, <laughs> oh, I forgot about it. Yeah. <laughs> just the entire setup is that a fat mobster whose nickname was Fart? His yeah. name was Fart? Yeah, Leo the Fart. Leo the Fart. And uh, the, the bad guys had stuffed nerve gas bombs <laughs> into his carcass and they were going to kill all the mafiosos and, at, the, and, at the funeral. And the way, they, the way that they got to this is so perfect for like movies where... They say that so oh, yes. so they the uh, the kid says Danny says it wouldn't be an explosion we've had way too many explosions in this movie already yes. and that's when Jack Slater conveniently remembers there was a shipment of nerve gas that was stolen from a military convoy two days ago and then uh, a scene later the the government agent the double agent there says oh that explains the break in at the morgue last night right, yes. it's just like all these incredibly convenient facts the uh, the, the the funny part too is so they, they there's a mob funeral that they're going to gas all these mobsters at with the nerve gas and so they've stuffed the corpse full of the the nerve agent 
And the way that the corpse is activated is that Charles Dance oh, yes. goes up and pulls his finger <laughs> to activate the to arm the detonator mm-hmm. on this guy. So what what I what I was fi- trying to do during this movie was I was pe- piecing together what the plot of Jack Slater Five would have been Ooh. if it wasn't for the intervention of Danny. And the plot of Jack Slater Five appears to be that Jack Slater is tasked with stopping. Uh, one mob boss, uh, Vivaldi, from taking over the entire crime syndicate of L.A., which is just funny, because when you think of La Cosa Nostra, right. you think of New York, not L.A. There's not, right. famously, not a mob city, L.A. <laughs> right. um, so the, I guess the plot of the movie was supposed to be that Vivaldi and Benedict were attempting to take over all of organized crime in L.A., yeah. and so Jack Slater would have to stop that and that it was all like they were the, the the story was oh that the two families are merging to trick Jack Slater into believing that the real enemy was not this one mob boss right and i assume that the plot would have been based on the way the characters behave that benedict would have betrayed vivaldi and benedict would have tried to rise to become the head of the, the crime yeah, family that's probably yeah. right um it's just, it is an interesting observation about the incongruity of having like a mafia story in la because the kind of like classic L.A. story, especially from like prior to the time period this movie was made, it's real estate deals. Yeah, right. <laughs> it's people doing some type of like some type of like massive like real estate thing. Yeah, like the like Gene Chinatown, Hackman, or like Gene Hackman and Superman. Yeah, or yeah. the season two of True Detective. Yeah, right. Yeah, and there's like no mention of like the street gangs or the yeah, uh, right, cartels yeah. or anything right, like yeah. that. Which is like, I guess, like starting in the 90s, like that's like the other kind of like LA story you see is like drugs and cartels. I was waiting for something like that. And yeah, no, it was, it wasn't that. But no, the, uh, the ending of the film is, is pretty incredible. They do eventually make their way back into the real world, as we discussed. And but not before like commenting on every single thing oh. of like movie life. And I want to call special attention to the fact that every product on the set was Acme. Yeah, like yes. like the classic Looney Tunes thing. Like there were Acme boxes, the Acme Corporation. Yes, everything was Acme in the background. The thugs are driving away in like a truck, and there's like kind of inexplicably like a box of Acme dynamite. Yes, <laughs> yeah, they're driving a truck like from the 1940s too. It's just like it's completely out of place. Uh, uh, the other thing too that I, I have always loved about this movie, before we move on to the ending is that it is the only place I have ever seen, to this day, someone actually using a mini-disc player. Oh, that's a good call. That, like, all of the hard rock music that's playing in the background during the course of this <laughs> is Arnold's mini-disc player yeah, and his Barracuda. He's, 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 doing a, he's doing a car chase, and he's and Arnold, while he's doing the car chase and shooting at the bad guys, is changing out the disc in his car <laughs> yeah. to, like, keep the soundtrack of the movie he's in going. Cool. And, like, telling the kid, it's like, it's like, you're driving with no hands. I know. You have to practice every day to do this. And make sure you never do it during heavy traffic. Yes, yes. The other running joke, that I, before we get to the ending, that I love in this movie is how horrible the driver Arnold is in this movie. Yes. Like, every scene in this movie where they're driving <laughs> includes him driving the wrong way down a road, yes. cutting someone off, or causing a massive auto accident to happen behind him. There's no less than 30 car accidents in this movie 
that don't even factor into the plot. They're just because Schwarzenegger or Jack Slater is such a terrible driver in this movie. <laughs> and there, there's a lot of the jokes are real subtle too. Like just in the background, you'll see cars like flinging themselves out wait, of the way. Wait, wait, there's there's a, there's they, a, they leave the police station after like oh, he's yeah, done. he that. drives up the exit ramp or up the entrance ramp and then hops a curb because the car coming down the other way wrecks into the wall to avoid him. There's there's a scene where they go into like this house and um there's a bomb in the house. So they get out, they like run out of the house like as the bomb's exploding and the house blows up. And there's also a car in the driveway and the car like very clearly on like a delay as like a special effect just like after the house has blown up. Yes. Just like something under the car clearly makes the car just like jump up in the air and like flip over. Oh, it's yeah. like just a poorly timed like special effect. There's a, there's a bad guy thrown into a uh, ice cream truck that also explodes just from the impact of his body. Right. It's so good. Um, so, yeah. Oh, also, there was a maybe maybe I was mishearing it. I, I didn't see anybody credited in, in the credits. Was Danny DeVito the voice of? Who's the voice the cat? of the cartoon cat? Okay. Cop, yeah, who <laughs> Jack Slater's life, whose whose life Jack Slater has saved at one point. Right. <laughs> where, where they the a cartoon animated like Who Framed Roger Rabbit yes. cat walks into the police station. The police station saves the, them at one point. Yeah, yes. The, the, yes. the police station is is hilarious. Like at one point, Humphrey Bogart, black and the black and white unit shows up, and, and it's Humphrey white. Bogart being superimposed in, but. It's a cartoon cat, and, and so this is the, the kid tries to say, "Oh, I have proof we're in a movie." A cartoon cat just walked into the squad room, and Schwarzenegger's for, and Jack Slater's first line is, "Yeah, his suspension was over yesterday." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, of course he'd be at work <laughs> after he had driven to the police station. The LA police department had valet parking for <laughs> the cops driving up. <laughs> Oh God, so good. So the the ending of this yes, movie, like, get yes. it. Let's let's get into it. The let's ending it. of this movie. Let's bring this home. It's incredible. The we've talked a little bit about it. Uh, so Charles Dance uh, Benedict's plot is that he is going to recruit villains out of other movies to engage in criminality and just basically take over our, the real world. But he has to get rid of Jack Slater first, and he decides that the way to get rid of Jack Slater. Is to kill Arnold Schwarzenegger. <laughs> so this is really clever thinking for a fictional character. Right. Yeah, yeah. So he recruits the villain from Jack Slater Three, the previous Jack Slater movie, <laughs> to go to the premiere to kill Arnold Schwarzenegger at the premiere. Yes. Um, who this villain had killed Jack Slater's son, which I thought was always an interesting parallel that that Danny the kid had lost his father, mm. Jack had lost his son. Yep. So they were kind of like sort of faded to meet in this sort of yeah. like weird relationship. And so that ends up failing. Slater ends up killing the villain yes. in this movie. Uh, the, the villain that from Jack Slater 3. He saves Danny. And then finally, Benedict Charles Dance shows up at the end, delivers his incredible soliloquy. And in one of the greatest like oh, sort of twists at the end of this I movie, love that. he's shooting at Arnold and the gun clicks. And you think the joke is, oh, did you make another movie mistake? You forgot to reload your gun. And it's just the coldest line ever delivered. No, John, I just left one chamber empty. And then just shoots him dead yep. in the chest. <laughs> it's, 
It's where like no one else could have played that character right there in that moment. It's yeah. a it because it, it you do think in the moment, and Jack Slater even says like you forgot about reloading. Yeah, yeah, and that's such a nice. It's quick too. It's like a quick little twist. Yeah, right. And he jumps out and he says, "You forgot about reloading." And he says, "No, I just left one chamber empty." And he shoots Arnold in the chest. In the chest. And it's so cool. Yeah. Then the credits should have rolled. And it would have been insane. <laughs> but, but I love, I still love, though, that, you know, the solution to this is that Arnold is oh, dying yes. from a chest wound. Yes. Like, they're taking him to a hospital. Everyone's giving him, like, the there's ain't no way this guy's surviving. Well, so so he does, so Arnold ends up shooting the villain. Yeah. In, so the villain has a false eye that he has a tendency of yes. leaving at scenes because it's like also an explosive. And so Arnold shoots him in the eye and blows him up. And blows him up. Yeah. It's really cool. Yeah. So they go back to the movie theater because the idea being if we get him back to his universe, this is only a flesh wound because Jack Slater can't die right. until the grosses go down. Right. You can't kill him off. In his fictional universe, because these movies are still making money. Yep, and they do eventually get him to the movie. We we'll talk about death yeah. here in a moment. But I loved the gag <laughs> of the doctor being like, "Why did you call me? This isn't even a flesh wound." <laughs> 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 yeah. So so, so they the, one of the characters that gets released from the movies. And so this they happened. drop they drop the ticket from the roof. Yeah, Charles Dance drops the ticket from the roof, and it lands in front of like an art house movie theater. That is showing the seventh seal, which is the movie that um, actually like death from Bill and Ted's bogus journey is it's also based, based on, on the seventh yeah, seal. But it's like a guy plays like chess with death. It's like a very famous kind of old black and white. Yeah, I prefer uh, the playing scene. Twister with death and Battleship with death. Um, it's another incredibly <laughs> underrated movie, incidentally. So um, uh, there's it's it's a quite well attended screening of the seventh seventh seal. I have to say <laughs> for being like. 60 years after the movie was made. <laughs> so, um, so the, so, you know, the, the theater falls down and death like kind of realizes that he can get out of the screen. So like death walks out with his like scythe first yes. at the people watching the seventh seal, which and, would just be the most terrifying thing ever. Like, <laughs> and death is played by Ian McKellen. Yes. In it's just this movie. like way too good of an actor. To have this kind of a bit role in this movie, right? But he he does such a good job. Oh, yeah, he he's so good. It, he owns he's so it. good in this little role. Like it's so it's so memorable. So death is like so so the kid is trying to get Jack Slater back into the movie at his theater. Death is walking down the street to just casually kills a cop. Casually kills a cop of a heart attack. Yeah. He's eating a hot dog. <laughs> He just waves like it's like a Jedi mind trick thing and kills a cop. Which I do want to say. Or did he kill him? Or was it that this cop was already going to die by choking on the hot dog? I think that's the the cop was going to die. I I don't know, though, because see, like Slater doesn't necessarily have his what I would call superpowers in our universe. His plot armor. Yeah. But death does get his powers. I, I found that a little odd. Death, uh, Slater's, else... Slater's strong. Yeah, true. Slater's, he has he has his superpowers. Okay. He's okay. like supernaturally strong. Okay. Because he throws the kid at one point. 
Right. Like, the only thing across, that made me like think a rooftop or something. was that he punched the taxi window but and he still broke, that but he still, but he still broke the window. And later rips a door off right. of the taxi. Yes. But like, he's like, it's like he <laughs> can get hurt, but he's still like super strong. Yeah, right. he's, okay, he is okay. still a action movie star, but he has to suffer the consequences I in see. the real world, okay. I think okay. is what it is. That was the only thing that it was like, was Death the only one that got their movie powers? So I don't think Death but... kills the cop, but he... Knows, knows the cop is going to die, see. Okay, so he like okay. acknowledges the cop gotcha. as he's walking down the street okay. that he's going to die. And then I he, mean, he comes to the movie theater where Danny and uh, and Jack Slater are, and Danny's trying to get, figure out a way to get Jack Slater into the movie without the half of the ticket that fell in front of the art house. And like, there, it's better writing than it needs to be yeah. when he looks at Danny and says, "You, you die a grandfather." It's so good because Danny gets to square off with death. Yeah. Yeah. He gets to have, because like death is like really, like his father's death is like the defining moment of his life. Right. And he gets this moment. So like pull the gun on death and say you're not taking this. Yeah. Yeah. Right. To square up and face down death eye to eye. And he also gets to understand that like death is not always this like terrible tragedy. Like, you can have, like, a good death in the sense that, like... Yeah, you'd be an old man and... People do get to live full lives. Yeah. And get to meet their grandchildren, you know? And death is not, like, out to get you. Right. Death doesn't kill him in the moment. Right. Right? And and what he says (coughs) that I think is, is really interesting is that when he says... When he looks at Jack Slater, he says, this one isn't on my list. And what that, like... I think what some people take that to mean is he's a fictional character. He's not real. To me, what that means is Jack Slater lives forever. So that, it could be, but he also says, um, I don't do fiction. Not my field. Not my field. I still think that the, the, the idea, though, is that this character lives forever. That, that Jack Slater never really dies. Yeah. That Jack Slater is someone where when he says at the end of it, I'll always be here for you. You can always pop yeah, yeah, the movie yeah. on. You can always come to this place if you need it. In a healthy way. Yeah. Right. Right. Which the kid did not have. In the, he did not right. have a healthy relationship with the yeah. movies. At the or beginning. with a projectionist, but... Well, that's, this is just goes back to talking about the Mighty Ducks. And having, like an, having like an old man that just like spends a lot of time with this little kid. You know what? I crave a return to that simpler time when it's like you didn't... The first reaction to this is an adult that spends a lot of time with a kid is we're looking at an Uncle Touchy situation. So I was on board with that interpretation right up until... Uh, leading up to the reveal of the ticket, where it's like he suddenly like switched modes for a second. <laughs> I was like, "Oh shit! I'm just gonna watch a whole bunch of bad things happen to this kid." And, no, it's um, Nick. Nick the projectionist is a wholesome figure in this person. So, life. so yeah, the kid. So, um, oh, so the other thing with with death, which like when so when death comes out of the screen and he's walking to him, and they have that whole exchange. And it's just like a perfect catharsis for everything that the movie has been building to. Yeah. The thought that came into my head was if they made this movie today, there would be a sequence of just like a bunch of random movie characters just running around the city. A hundred percent. And it did not, it did not need that at all. It was so, it was so much better for that not happening. Yeah. Right. And that like the character that they got, because they clearly had the rights to bring just about any character they wanted. They right. had, yeah. they had the Looney Tunes involved in this movie. They had all these other like 
properties that were associated with Columbia and Touchstone and whatever. And the fact that they chose the seventh seal, classic of cinema. Yeah. That's like when you talk about, like, this is a person where they're making a love letter to cinema in general. This is a moment where you made a love letter to cinema in general. Yeah, it goes and, back to what I was talking about with, like, how I think there's, like, Shane Black as yeah. a writer. And there's so much about this where it's, like, it's a commentary on how movies have declined, too, that the actual, the actual state of the movie theater that oh, yeah. they go to see it, that they go to see this in. So I hadn't watched this movie in a while. And I always thought that there was a major plot hole in this movie that, like, why is Jack Slater 3 still in theaters when Jack Slater 4 is coming out? And the answer is, is you can see it. There are signs outside this movie theater that say that it's scheduled for demolition. Right. That they are going to be building a multiplex in place of this beautiful old theater where they're still using reel-to-reel -reel projectors where you still have an actual projectionist in there. And this movie is a love letter to movies, not just yes. action movies, but movies in general and the power of movies and just the escapism of movies. And I just, I think it was grossly misunderstood at the time. I think Schwarzenegger does an incredible job in this movie. He's very funny. He acts. He's very self-aware. Because yes. he'd actually, his character is, as Jack Slater is not the kind of character that Arnold Schwarzenegger typically plays. Or had played to that. Had played, right. right. Like he wasn't, like in his movies, like he's not like like he's like a like stoic, serious action star. He wasn't like a ladies' man. No, right, in right. his in his action movies. And but like, Jack Slater is like the charming kind of sleazy. Yeah, I was gonna say sleazy, a little bit of an asshole. <laughs> it's like a Mel Gibson kind yeah, of character. Yes. And, you know? and when they, when Arnold himself is actually on screen, he's kind of a dickhead. Yes, like I thought that was hilarious. Like his wife, like we were talking about earlier, his wife Marie is Maria Shriver's telling him. Just don't plug the restaurant. It sounds really corny when you do. He shoehorns a plug yeah. in for the restaurant. When he meets Jack Slater face to face, which was really well shot, given yeah. like the time that this was done, his first thought is, hey, you're one of the best celebrity impersonators ever. Call my people. You can do shopping mall openings. Right. Not like, are you okay? What's going on? Right. Like immediately pivoting to being all business. He's like pissed that they did some type of promotion and it didn't, didn't like tell, tell him. him. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I, that was it was just so it was so much better than I thought it would be and as I said like as I as I started this film I I didn't like it and it just it got better and better and better yeah that's exactly it it was just like it is such a great love letter to movies and yeah I don't know it just it wraps up really nicely and I think it'd be really funny if they did try to do like a remake of this but include all of the actors again playing their same roles and like trying to incorporate that in some way, shape, or form of like he ends up the back cash in grab, the, the cash grab sequel. Right. <laughs> I just, I just think like in the nineties. So like it, it does make fun of like how over the top action movies had gotten to at that right. point, but this kind of meta narrative yeah. was still like kind of new. Yeah. And I think that we've gone over the top on like the meta narrative kind of stuff. So maybe at this that's point. the critique. So it would be too too indulgent. Yeah. In that aspect. Unless you could somehow make I, mean, it I don't a know like who's a good enough meta action director to like have done like like today. Yeah. Because I don't know, we just don't make movies like this anymore. That's like No, they, we make they, like way meta movies that don't have necessarily yeah. like that don't necessarily have as good of See the closest movie yeah. I think to this 
is Tropic Thunder. Yeah, I thought about Tropic Thunder too. Like, yeah. the, and I, I, I struggle with the idea, and I know this is a controversial take. I think this is a better movie than Tropic Thunder. I think this is a better send up of the genre. I think this is a more, this is a more loving send up of the genre. It's a, it's a much warmer film. Like, it's clearly yeah. like a. It would be a kids' movie if it wasn't an action movie, right? right. I think it's. I actually think. I think it's most closely related to like Scream, a little bit. Where it's like, I think Scream, which I also watched uh, recently as part of like a Halloween, like just as part of the Halloween season. Um, I think Scream, the first one, also strikes kind of the perfect tone between a really, really good slasher movie. Right. While also like commenting on the genre, the slasher genre. And I think most, and I'm a fan of the Scream series generally. Um, I think most of them find at least like an interesting way to like be of the moment. Yeah. But they have gotten, they have become more like, especially like the most recent one is more in service of like commenting on where it sits, where this type of movie sits in the time. Right. Than being like a plausible entry in the genre. Right, right. And the first Scream movie in particular is a fully plausible slasher film on its own. Right. And I think Last Action Hero, for the most part, is like a very... Yeah. It's it's very reasonable just as a 90s action movie. Yeah. Yeah. It's over the top, but you can imagine it being done realistically and it it being, you know, Beverly Hills. Yeah, like I would... Like you could imagine like the, the Jack Slater movies. Yes. Are they feel plausible yes. as an action as an action series? Yeah, like, like you can see, like if you cast like those if movies, it was Bruce, would be popular. If it, if it was Bruce Willis in place of Arnold Schwarzenegger, these are just the Die Hard sequels, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, actually, <laughs> like there's not a lot of daylight between how ridiculous and absurd the plot of Jack Slater Four is with Die Hard with a Vengeance, where he's in the park with um, Samuel L. Jackson trying to figure out how to measure water onto a scale to avoid a bomb blowing up in the middle. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Man. Great. This is a great movie. Kevin, you'd never seen this before. I had not. What do you rate this as? Is this a watch or a skip? For Oh, no, for... it's definitely a watch. No, it's really it's really good. Like, if you have not seen it, you need to see it. Like, unless you were, I don't know, somehow allergic to action films or mid-90s films in general. No, this, this needs to be on your list. I agree. I think that especially if you are of an age where you grew up watching other movies in this genre, specifically like True Lies, um, Commando, Die Hard, those movies. If you grew up uh, Cobra, the (laughs) Stallone movies like that, if you grew up watching those movies or you've seen those movies before, this movie, if it's it's gotten a reputation as this is kind of a trash movie, I think that movie, that reputation is wholly unearned. Yeah. I think it's quite the opposite. God, I forgot Jean-Claude Van Damme has a cameo in this as well. Yeah, as himself. Yeah. <laughs> as himself. Jim Belushi. Um, so I was looking it up. Yeah, he was actually pretty funny in it. Um, uh, this came out either a week before or a week after Jurassic Park, which is where it just got absolutely swallowed up by the culture. It didn't have a moment to stand on its own. And apparently, according to IMDb, they were still filming parts of it a week before the theatrical release. 
that <laughs> somebody had committed to a release date and wasn't budging. And so that's why they didn't get a final once over on the editing that a lot of people said. Uh, the, the criticism at the time I was reading was that it was the movie was 10 minutes longer than it needed to be, that it was there was just too much fluff. That it's un- it's under two hours, right? It's pretty close to two hours, though. It's we're closer to two hours than ninety minutes. By. For yeah, so that was a different. That was a different time. Yeah, like every movie is two and a half hours now, and I'm right. so yeah. tired of it. Right. <laughs> right. Oh, and I, I miss a good ninety-minute film. I also want to give a special shout out to an incredible soundtrack in this movie. I'm just. I looked it up right now because I want to make sure I'm right on this. Here is a list in order of the bands on the soundtrack. Are Please. you ready for this? Yes. ACDC, Alice in Chains, Megadeth, Queen's Cry, Death Leopard. Anthrax, Aerosmith, Alice in Chains, Cypress Hill, Fishbone, and Tesla. <laughs> and Tesla, the, the rock band, no relation. <laughs> the uh, the ACDC track was also uh, an original for the film. So yeah. there you go. There you go. So that's the film room, Last Action Hero. Damn. Should we, should we say what the next one's going to be so people can watch ahead? Uh, yes. Do we know what the next one is? I think we've already decided. Okay. All right. So what the next one is? Rebel Moon. Rebel Moon. Rebel Wait. Moon. All right. So part one. <laughs> part one. It's available on Netflix. This was um, Zack Snyder. We were talking about this at dinner tonight. Zack Snyder. This movie had been picked up and purchased by Lucasfilm prior to the Disney sale as a new Star Wars movie. Yes. And then when the Disney sale went through... Um, they decided they didn't want to do this. They were going to pivot to other projects. Snyder attempted to sell this to Warner uh, Brothers. Yeah. And they were like, we're done with you, specifically, after <laughs> the DC Universe's failure to launch. And he took it to Netflix. And we'll just say that the reactions online have been polarizing. And I'm eager to find out why. Yes. So Yeah, this was a movie that uh, Matt Doyle was actually actively soliciting on Twitter negative reviews of the movie that just like fully panned it yeah and i want to know why yeah and we want to know why yeah what's going on so that's the film room for next week unless uh we get overwhelming feedback telling us that these are terrible and to stop doing them yeah or i mean it may not be next week well but it'll be the next movie it'll it'll be the next movie we do it'll be the next movie Maybe, maybe we go to break for a week. Maybe like four or five signings show up and we have a lot more soccer to talk about. But yeah. Until, not going to happen. Until then. Hey. Go fuck yourself, San Diego. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Cincy Postcast, which is a production of The Post Cincy. You can check us out at thepostcincy.com for all of our written content, as well as links to our social media. You can follow us on Twitter, and as well, you can join us on our Discord server. You can find links to that server both in this episode description as well as on our website. That is where most of our conversations are going on. We have a lovely community 
there talking about FC Cincinnati, MLS, anything and everything else and everything in between. We also want to give a huge thanks to Jim Trace and the Makers for providing all of the music you've heard throughout this episode. They're an amazing local Cincinnati band. Again, more information about them is in the description of this episode. And if you enjoyed what you listened to, and you've made it to the end, so I'm going to assume you liked it, or you just can't reach your stop button, please like us, review us, subscribe to us, wherever you are getting your podcasts, that is going to be really, really helpful. But more importantly, share this with a friend. A personal recommendation helps sped a podcast so much further. So please share this if you know somebody in your life who's an FC Cincinnati fan, an MLS fan, somebody that you think would enjoy this, pass it on over. Thank you so, so much again for listening. It blows me away that people continue to listen to us. And thank you so, so much again.